Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a spring Easter edition of Ignite Radio Live. You are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, and as we love to proclaim, for the Almighty. Imagine if, in this very moment, all of the Sea of Humanity were able to walk into a theater and watch the very first Star Wars. I just kind of pulled that out of the blue, one of my favorite movies. So the very first Star Wars, A New Hope, right? So we all went into this theater from different uh, religions, uh, different orientations, different ideologies across the political spectrum. Do you think we'd come out on the other side in favor of Darth Vader, disappointed that he was defeated? I don't think so. I think most of us would experience a tremendous sense of unity, a fundamental sense of what is true and what is good and what is right. Now, I don't want to diminish that there are some real differences that are being weaponized by the enemy, Ephesians 6, 12. But I do think we want to open our hearts and minds to do a deep dive and recognize this spark of truth of God alive. He fashioned us for his nature. And I'm speaking to those of you who may doubt this, and I'm conveying to you that I get it. I get that you've experienced hypocrisy, you've experienced scandal, and I just invite us to consider, are not each of us struggling at any given time in our lives with some of these things in our lives? And in the midst of those struggles, do they not bring us together? If we go deeper, do we not recognize a commonality? It's easy to demonize through social media, right? It's easy to demonize through the radio programs and television stations that need to have us polarized. But take all that away, eyeball to eyeball with our neighbors, with our brothers and sisters. Do we not recognize something fundamental that moves us towards them to care for them? Well, on center stage today, uh, I think we're going to experience some of that fabric of unity, some of that fabric of humanity of God alive because he has this heart of the Father. The heart of the Father has moved him into places to see this unity, to see hearts come to know who they are in Christ. And oh, by the way, with all of that, we attach the word Catholic. He's been on the streets evangelizing. He's created movements that have touched hearts deeply. He's seen transformation. And I'm kind of glad that I don't really know a lot about my brother, Deacon John Green here. My nephew introduced me to him. And uh, amazing stories. I see a bit of a snapshot at his parish website. So let me just start by saying, welcome aboard, Deacon John Green. How are you doing in this East? season. I am doing wonderful. It's great to be with you, Greg and Stephanie. Thanks for the invitation. Awesome to have you. So Deacon John, give us, before Steph asks you sort of the intro, deep dive, classical question, just give us a portrait right now of what you're doing, married, kids, and your work. Sure. I'm uh, married with four kids. So I got four teenagers. In the wow. Yes, awesome. We got amen. that. We buy... Uh, we we buy our cereal by the backloader. Yes, we just have, you know backloads of cereal coming in. And um, my oldest is nineteen. He's in. Uh, he's finishing actually his first year at our diocesan seminary. He's awesome. starting the, the priesthood. So we're. I'd ask your listeners to pray for Jonathan Green. Oh, beautiful. Shout out to and, our dear uh, friends, the Menkhouses. There, Joseph Menkhaus was just ordained to the transitional diaconate mm-hmm. for the Diocese yes, of Cleveland. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. That's awesome. A great family. Yeah. Good yeah. friends of ours. Yeah. And Father oh, Joe Koopman, super. one of the former tours. I knew him as just a lad when he was navigating prior to going to Steubenville and becoming the intellectual giant that he is now. So our <laughs> heartfelt regards for Father Joe Koopman and the whole team there also. Anyways, yeah. I digress. Continue giving us the portrait no, of the well, Green I've family. Been- Sure, I've been uh, married for 28 years. Um, I've uh, uh, my wife Carolyn. Uh, when we met, she was a American Baptist. Uh, we met at Wheaton College, and 
My mom's greatest fear when I went to a Protestant college is that I would leave the church and marry mm-hmm. a Baptist, and only one of those things happened. <laughs> She's a good mom. <laughs> and uh, my wife, Carolyn, actually came into uh, full communion with uh, the Catholic Church about eight years ago. Beautiful. But, uh, we've, mm-hmm. we've had an exciting life together, and uh, yeah, we live in uh, right outside of Akron, Ohio, in a city called Stowe. I serve as a deacon at the Holy Family Catholic Church. Um, also part of our household is my 88-year-old Aunt Martha. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, moved in with us. God so bless Aunt awesome. Martha. Yeah. That's so beautiful. We, uh, it's a joy to just be with her in those those winter years. We we kind of did that with my mom, uh, kind of did end-of-life care with her mm. at home here, and Kind of doing the same thing with Aunt Martha. What That's a beautiful, beautiful witness. Thank you for that. That's so awesome. Deacon John, your children will one day hear this radio program when they want to do a deep dive into the the formidable foundation of their history and their dad. And they will say, Dad, you only gave uh, some time and attention to the oldest one of us. Is he your favorite? You got to tell us a little about the other three. <laughs> sure. So uh, my 17-year-old Daniel is a wonderful um, academic uh, star. He actually... Uh, He's carrying a 4.8 GPA right now. Slacker. I, I, I made the mistake of telling him that that was literally twice what my GPA was. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> you, oh, that's I, great. I, you just don't want to do that. To right, a, right, to right. He's also a, a wonderful competitive swimmer. He's uh, swam at, at States this year, and uh, he's, he's a great kid. Send him to Hillsdale. Get his eyes on Hillsdale. Hillsdale. Okay. All right. All right. He's, he's looking for, for schools next year. The, my kids go to, um, uh, well, the three of uh, Jonathan and then the two boys, Daniel. My other son is Peter. Uh, Peter is a volleyball player and a robotics guy. Um, and they all go to Firestone in uh, Akron, which is an Akron public school. Okay. A fantastic uh, school. Peter had his first experience of uh, going into the bathroom and uh, a bunch of kids smoking marijuana. So nice. we had a nice conversation Dude. about awesome. that. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> they, uh, they're, they're holding strong and witnessing to their faith, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. And then uh, I got a little daughter, Claire, who... Aww. Loves ballet, and she's in seventh grade, and she actually attends our, our local parish school here. That's beautiful. Awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah, the vo- which, which kids do not are not smoking marijuana. <laughs> That's great. So the volleyball player, do they by chance play Walsh in Akron? Is that Akron? Yeah. You, well, uh, not messy. We haven't played Walsh High School yet. We've played St. V's. Okay. Um, we have an East there. was nice. Our yeah, nephew is a superstar volleyball player. He'll be going to Hillsdale next year as a senior, and I know that that, as, as with many other sports, got curtailed, truncated, and all of that. But oh, they yeah. won last year. They won state last year, Walsh did, and so I just wondered if maybe oh, they would have crossed paths. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they might. It's, uh, it's interesting. Boys volleyball, is it's a little hard to, to find it. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. not as popular as, mm-hmm. as girls volleyball. But, no, our kids are all great. They... They love the Lord. They keep our life busy and full, and uh, and they're a blessing to Aunt Martha too. We all kind of Mart has a, a caregiver during you know during the week, so my wife and I can work. But on the weekends and evenings, kind of our family are the people that surround her with love and care, and the kids are great with that. And I just love again your witness, you and your wife mm-hmm. in general of that, but in particular to your children. I mean, what a formation of the dignity of life, of the, um, 
works of mercy, just that familial love mm-hmm. uh, that will forever yeah. be embedded in their being. So that's just awesome. So yeah, well, thank you. It's, it it really is a privilege. We you know uh, we'll probably get to this, but I you know I was doing a street ministry in Chicago, and we we left that uh, move here to Ohio about uh, eleven years ago, and we ended up just becoming our you know caregivers to my parents mm-hmm. as they were were dying and. We, uh, my dad actually passed away just a few months after we got here, mm-hmm. and then my mom went into Alzheimer's. And so our whole family, we spent about four years just kind of, you know, being my mom's primary caregiver. And Beautiful. when she died, she was surrounded by my kids. She was surrounded by, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of, you know, my my siblings, her sister, and and it was in our home, and it was beautiful. It really was. Mm, and, praise God. You know, it's such it's such a hard time in our society mm-hmm. because you know it's a lot of people. You know, a lot of people are are fearful mm-hmm. of bringing their elders, you know, in into their home. And and there are amazing people doing you know at assisted living facilities doing wonderful care and wonderful ministry. And um, but you know, I, I don't think we should be afraid to bring people into our home and care mm-hmm. for them in the end of life. There's a lot of support. There's a lot of encouragement to do that, and mm-hmm. and that's just kind of one part of our life right now. And it's it's a beautiful part. That's awesome. That's awesome. Just a note to punctuate again as we are made for Christ. When you have somebody come into your home like that, that's stretching you to an even greater degree, tell me, and you've already given witness to this, and we'll get on with the the story here, but I just have to pronounce this, how that forms us for other. It forms us literally in our nature in Christ who awakens us from our identity, from our amnesia, from all the languishing, all the mental health issues that people are experiencing. Why? Because they're navel gazing, and things like that take us out of ourselves to love others. So shout out to Aunt Mart as we move yeah. along. Um, we love to also proclaim the beautiful, beautiful, powerful scripture, Revelations 12, 11. They defeated the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, our Holy Mass, and by the word of their testimony. So, John, we would love to hear your testimony right now. Give us a little background and where what kind of brought you to the point that you're at today. Sure. Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, um, I kind of Grew up in a suburban. Actually, I grew up in the house that I'm I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Very cool. Holy Family Parish in Stowe is the the parish I grew up at, and um, cradle Catholic. My uh, mom was a wonderful, faithful believer. Um, my dad uh, attended church at each of my sacraments, so mm. he he made about five or six of right, them right. Um, times in church. He was a World War II veteran and kind of a, that real, you know, that typical, uh, I can't say it's typical, but just, you know, um, kind of emotionally cut off a little mm-hmm, bit. I, mm-hmm. I think my dad, generation. Uh, I think my dad actually had some, some PTSD from his, you know, mm-hmm. time in the war. Mm-hmm. And um, so he was a very distant kind of, kind of father. Um, I had a, a wonderful parish um, growing up here and, um, you know, I um, had a wonderful time growing up. We're actually right near what's called the uh, Cuyahoga Valley National Park mm, here in Ohio. I love that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful area to, to be a kid and to raise a kid. And we live in a little village called Silver Lake. And, uh, you know, there's uh, we have about this 100-acre lake and about 450 homes. And, and I remember when I was getting um, my sacrament of um, confirmation, my, my dad kind of realized, oh, you're supposed to get somebody, you know, maybe some type of gift or something. So, and his, and his kind of, you know, it is, it is way, he just kind of said, so what do you want for your confirmation? And so, uh, so I said, well, I'd, I'd really like a sailboat. Wow. <laughs> like, Sunfish. Go, go so, big or go home. 
I know. Go big or go home. You know, it's like, no, I don't want a prayer card. I don't really right, like right. that one. So, <laughs> Got a so you know, and, and my dad, one of the ways that he would show love to us is he would go and he'd hunt flea markets and mm. auctions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up getting me a 16-foot Sidewinder sailboat. No Beautiful. Way. That's like, awesome. Confirmation. Jesus and, did uh, spend a lot of time on the water, and we read a lot about that did, in the Gospels these days, did, too. You're just doing you know? what Jesus did. You're a follower <laughs> of Christ. Come on. You know, and, and I have to tell you, you know, where I grew up, I thought every kid gets a sailboat at age 16. <laughs> you know, it's just that I, I, I grew up in a little bubble of wonderful family, wonderful comfort. And, you know, and um, when I got my uh, sacrament of, of confirmation at 16, it was a just mountaintop experience. My mm-hmm. parish did a wonderful job of formation. We did about a year long kind of small group. And then um, for the, the confirmation was actually a three-day retreat, and at the end of it is when the bishop confirmed us. And wow. it was just one of those mountaintop experiences that I will never forget. It, mm. uh, it just really activated my faith and just increased my love for um, serving God and kind of giving Him my life. And so it was, it was a beautiful experience. Can I pause you a second? I got to probe a little bit. And just for our audience, this is a unique interview we have with our brother Deacon John Green here in that we haven't spent a lot of time talking. We had a conversation prior to this. And I was so moved by his his background, his dynamism, the things you're hearing him say. But uh, this is the sort of question I would just ask if we were having coffee or a beer or whatever. So Deacon John, I, I would evaluate, you're probably 54, 55 years old. You don't have to tell me if you don't want. Um, but that, go up one more year. Okay, 56. <laughs> so um, you grew up in the 70s, 60s, 70s. And, and yeah. in that culture, there's a steady dose of uh, Van Halen, Led Zeppelin sticks, Foreigner Rush Journey piping, if you will, into our bloodstream into our culture around us, shall we say, themes and ideas contrary to the gospel. And we saw in that era, if you will, an unraveling of family and marriage and ideas of sexuality and you know drugs uh, available on a level that it never had occurred before. So did you not experience that kind of culture in the schools and how did your spirit, soul, life react to it? Yeah, you know, I, I definitely experienced that. I, I went through public school. I wasn't in a, a Catholic school. But, but again, you know, our, our little village, our little area here is, is a bubble in mm-hmm. many ways. And, um, you know, and so you're kind of protected by some of that. And yet, like in my high school, there was certainly, um, you know, I, I want to say I think it was my sophomore year in high school when, when I got confirmed. But before that, um, you know, I, I was a good kid, but I was, you know, I was doing kind of kind of stupid things that kids do, stealing candy bars at the, you know, at the local uh, mm-hmm. store. I, um, I, I am blessed that I, I think I burned through at least half a dozen guardian angels before the age of 16. <laughs> you know, I, I, I took a lot of risks and could have died many times mm. being, being foolish with my friends. Uh, I actually, uh, a friend, a friend and I, uh, we actually, uh, made pipe bombs before the felony and, uh, we <laughs> did that Thank too. Thank you for the clarification. United with you. Yeah. And we'd, we'd go, you know, go out in the woods and we'd blow up old stumps and stuff and just thought that was such a, a funny thing to do. Couldn't, oh my gosh, I, I don't even yeah. want to think about it. But, uh, but you know, it really, you know, so I was, you know, I was a good kid, um, you know, and doing a few kind of foolish things. But again, I had, I had a wonderful family, great support. 
I, I certainly saw a lot of the the craziness in our culture, partly from my my siblings. I have five siblings, and they've all gone in kind of different paths, and you know, some have um, you know had really rough experiences with drugs, with different mm-hmm. you know expressions of sexuality, and 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 yet we all love each other, and mm-hmm. we're still family as mm-hmm. well. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember, you know, when when that confirmation happened, mm-hmm. it was one of those, um, you know, just turning points. And, and my best friend in high school was an evangelical Protestant guy who attended a big, um, a big kind of evangelical megachurch here in Akron called the Chapel. And Mike and I ended up um, deciding that we wanted to go witness to the kids in the pit. And in our high school that we had, we had this back parking lot area that was probably... I don't know, quarter of an acre big. And that's where they would let all the kids who smoked uh, go and smoke, um, and which kept them from, you know, smoking up the bathrooms mm-hmm, and, and everything. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, you never, you know, we have never had that this day and age, but there was probably a couple hundred kids. You know, I, I had a pretty big high school. There was like uh, 900 in my graduating class. And mm. so there was a couple hundred kids out in the pit and, you know, smoking between classes, all smoking during lunch. And uh, so Mike and I, uh, we decided we wanted to go and share our faith with those guys. That's and that amazing. was kind of my, my first uh, foyer into, you know, just kind of basic, you know, evangelization. And, uh, and it was, it was wonderful. I was scared to death. And <laughs> Tell us how it went first time. Well, first of all, descended to well, the I, I want to say this because so, so uh, how awesome that you're describing for us a sacrament that is meant to be uh, for us, a personalization, shall we say, of the second chapter of Acts, the the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that, um, that you know, floods us with this anointing of heaven, of God, of our nature and the Trinity to go and evangelize. And, it you know, it is not simply sort of a factual rite of passage, as many may regard this, of a catechetical nature, but it comes alive. We literally recognize that we are Christic. You connected with that, and you acted on that, yeah. and, and you had to overcome some, I'm sure, fear, as you say, trepidation, doubts. Even adults right now, most adults who I suspect right now might have a context where they could do this, but something stands in the way. You overcame that. Can you just share like the, you know, that process of going from the decision to actually doing it and how it blessed you? Sure. And, you know, I, I think one thing, it was it was done with another believer, you know, mm-hmm. and so, you know, you look in scriptures and you see Jesus, you know, sending his disciples out in twos, um, which, you know, when we go out and we minister um for God together with another person, mm-hmm. it, you know, we're really strengthened by that. So, right. so I think that's, that's an important thing. Um, also, you know, just recognizing like in the, in the catechism, um, 1533, it, it says baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist are sacraments of Christian initiation. They ground the common vocation of all Christ disciples, a vocation to holiness and to the mission of evangelization the, of evangelizing the world. It's beautiful. You know, our, our sacraments that, that we have, I mean, that's our basic vocation as believers in, mm-hmm. in Christ is that vocation to holiness, but also to evangelizing the world. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and in my, my, you know, sophomoric kind of way, you know, I just thought, okay, going in the pit is the place to go. And, and it was wonderful. You know, it was, it was, it really was. We had some times of, of, you know, just kind of, kind of sharing our, our faith and, you know, and, and especially, you know, once you, and, and I learned this later in life when I started doing, doing street ministry in Chicago, you know, once you, once you cross that threshold 
of of a place that you're scared to go, whether mm-hmm. it's a you know, whether it's a nursing home or whether it's prison ministry or whether it's the pit or, or street ministry or or just even, you know, a neighbor that you're in conflict with. Once you cross that threshold, I feel like all you know, a lot of the butterflies just disappear yeah. because you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, and I think in some ways that's the enemy trying to keep us from practicing that life of holiness and, and evangelization, you know, just filling us with fear of, oh, what, what might happen or, or whatever. And, yep. and um, so, so what, I, what I loved about that in high school is I just found that the best way to, to evangelize was to just share your story and to go and, and to create friendships. And so, so I met some wonderful friends who are friends to this day, um, you know, who are walking with the Lord, you know, from, from that experience. And, and so, you know, I just kind of shared, you know, the, the changes that were going on in my life and, and the direction that the Lord was leading me. And, and, you know, St. John Paul too talked about, you know, propose, don't impose. Mm. And so I think when we propose something that is beautiful and something that is true and something that is holy and good People are drawn to that, and so I really found that the kids in my high school were were really drawn. Uh, That's awesome. That. Uh, you know, I have to invoke the John four. It, it's one of these chapters that I really have been moved to deep dive into. It's the woman at the well. Of course, mm. she became known mm-hmm. as Fotini. And folks, do some research on this woman. The Byzantine Church has a very rich understanding of her story and what happened consequent to meeting the savior of the world first of all the unlikeliness right of this man you know Mm -hmm. jew speaking to a half-breed woman uh, you know at the water but what happened in his looking into her life seeing her sin uh is speaking of worship but the phrase from john 4 he says the worshipers worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth which is to say what Mm -hmm. that yes there's this the banks of the rapids are important the orthodoxy the truth the foundation the groundwork that is the basis for those streams of living water to flood that that spirit flows i think too often we as catholics we have a very noetic you know we have a rich conceptual tradition you know you you invoked the catechism i think 1533 Mm -hmm. and john paul ii these teachings are meant to be more than things we think about and we nod our heads to in a talk and we think i agree that's good that's true it takes this movement of the spirit to flow through those banks to elevate us to actually take that step in faith outside the boat to get on the water and you did that and as you said, that was a little bit, you know, you invoked that you had the, the uh, maybe it was appropriate that you got the sailboat. You got the sails up. <laughs> you got the Deacon John Green sails up. So you weren't just sitting in the middle of the water with all the capacity, but the sails went up and the wind blew through it. And is that not maybe an image for all of us listening right now? We've got the sacraments. We've heard the truths. Are we getting the sail up in the air and making that step in our lives? Anyways, I think it's a good image that describes you and what, what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do with all right now. But take us yes. now through a little bit of your story. You um you graduated from Cuyahoga Falls High School in 83. You attended Wheaton mm-hmm. College. And then, as it says, uh, your life of ministry began, if you will, as a dropout, a 22-year-old dropout. Yep, I, I dropped out of college, and I, I highly recommend it. It was wonderful <laughs> for me. <laughs> Don't tell your kids that. 
Yeah, I will not. Yeah, so many things I will not tell my kids. You know, and and yeah, I went to Wheaton College. My my best friend in high school, who I witnessed together with, he 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 decided to go to Wheaton, and he said, "Hey, it's a Christian school. You should go too." And I thought, "Okay, I'll go." And that was my whole college decision making process. <laughs> and uh, I found myself one of twelve Roman Catholics out of three thousand very wow. intense evangelical Protestants. Amazing. And, uh, you know, and, and Wheaton was a wonderful school. Loved loved it. And uh, I actually literally got challenged every single day about being a Catholic. And, um, and and it was so wonderful because when I got challenged about being a Catholic by my, my evangelical brethren, I, you know, a lot of times I didn't know the answer to the questions. And this is before we had the catechism and and um, and so I would call my pastor, Ed Zabo, back home here in Stowe, and I'd say, okay, Father Ed, this is, these are the questions that have come up this month, you know, what do I say? How do I answer them? And, and it was so wonderful because he would always say, you know, John, um, in Lumen Gentium, around chapter, hmm. paragraph 14, it talks about that. Why don't you go read that? Mm-hmm. Or, or he would say, you know what? Pope Leo had a great encyclical about that. Why don't you look it up and read it? He would never give me the answer. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Love that. And, and it really was. It, it, so, I, you know, I read all the documents of Vatican II. I read past encyclicals. And it, and it deepened my faith as a Roman Catholic um, again, because it, you know, I, I, you know, I, I like truth. I like things that are are true. And and the more that I explored the depths of our faith and the depths of, you know, church history and the early church fathers and mothers, you know, I, it just, it just drips with that which is true. And and so it just really, you know, embraced my faith. Now I also grew to to really appreciate our evangelical mm-hmm. brethren as far as you know, their their commitment to scripture and their commitment to, um, you know, just that, you know, history of evangelization um, and just a, you know, variety of wonderful things. So I, I, I had a great appreciation for them, but I, I did uh, end up uh, dropping out of college and um, I actually, I was walking past our student union at Wheaton and there is this little Reader's Digest reprint article about Father Bruce Ritter and the work of mm. Covenant House mm-hmm. in New York City. And at the end of this paragraph, it said, come work for me. I'll pay you $12 a week. You'll get room and board, medical insurance, and you're going to pray for three hours a day. And when I read that passage, that it was one of those times in my life where I almost felt audibly God saying, go mm. do this. Wow. And so I dropped out of school. I'd actually gotten hired as a youth minister at a local Catholic church. I quit my job. I sold my car deferred my enrollment, and then I told my parents. And I should have. And he lives to tell about it. It was was seriously the first time in my life when I told my parents, I thought my dad was going to hit me. And he never, never had been vile. But I just Mm -hmm. thought, oh, my gosh, because, you know, and so I actually I I went to New York and I and I have to tell you, you know, Greg and Stephanie in, you know, again, you know, I grew up in a wonderful family, wonderful place of privilege, went to this wonderful Wheaton College. Um, great Christian education. I really thought the the streets of New York City were so messed up is because John Green wasn't there, you mm. know. And if you get John Green there, I'm going to go. You're going to bring gonna it. Fix things. I'm going to bring it. And so profit on the you know, streets. So I, 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 I went there and I ended up. I started working with homeless and runaway kids. Uh, I worked for a few months 
on a on a floor with <laughs> these young kids who you know some of them were throwaways where mm. families just couldn't mm. deal with them anymore so they threw them out others were were homeless and um you know and i i started working with them and then i got invited to go out on the outreach program so i started i'm a pretty big guy so i think that's why they asked me to do it but um so we started going out on the streets at night and I remember starting to have these interactions with um, young men involved in prostitution. And mm. it just, it broke my heart to see mm. these guys, you know, selling their bodies on, on the streets as a, as a way to survive. Mm. And, and, and I started trying to convince them, you know, using all the good skills and things I had to get off the streets and it, you know, and I, and I couldn't, and I remember this, actually, this one girl, um, uh, Maria, who was a little, little fiery Puerto Rican, um, girl, she was a prostitute on 42nd street. And, and at 16 years old, she was pregnant for like the third time mm. that, um, our street ministry had, had met her. And I remember this late night, you know, I'm talking to Maria and I'm saying, look, you got to get off the streets. You got to get your life together. And, um, and, and, and I tell, I told her, Hey, I'll help you get a job at Kentucky fried chicken here. And she just starts cussing me out. Cause she's mm. like, you know, look, I make, I make $1,500 every weekend. And it turns out Maria actually worked on a live sex stage on mm. 42nd street. Mm. So she would be having sex. People would come and watch it and they'd pay mm. whatever. And, you know, it was just that darkness that she was wrapped oh, up Lord in. Mercy. But, yeah, you know, nothing I could say would convince this young girl, Maria, to get off the street. And I just, you know, I, I kept on struggling. I was like, come on, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm you know, you know, and I'm, I'm, it's kind of dawning on me at this point that, hey, not every kid gets a sailboat at 16, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, um, and then I, I remember, you know, um, getting to know some homeless people in the neighborhood, a uh, wonderful old man named Fred Render, who was a um, African American guy, who was a Vietnam vet, and and he would stand outside of the door of our our faith community. I lived with this faith community, and we'd pray the liturgy of the hours together, mm. and and work with street kids. and And Fred uh, Fred ended up passing away um, from just you know the streets, and mm. had a beautiful funeral for him. and um, And it all for me kind of came to a head one night right at um, the corner of, of 42nd and 8th Avenue uh, where it's about 2 a.m. I'm in the outreach van. We're waiting for the light to change. And I see this blur next to this window and then this huge slap on the ground. And I look over and about 10 feet away, a homeless guy had committed suicide. Oh. So he had jumped from the top of Port Authority, landed not far from us you know we jumped out of the van people were screaming oh. and um you know there's already a thick little stream of blood coming out of him and going into the gutter and oh. and and we just we just finished our shift that night just numbed and i you know and i i would finish my all night shift i'd do morning prayer with my faith community and then go to sleep and 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 during this morning prayer i i just sat there numbly just you know because nothing i Nothing that I was relying upon, my good upbringing, my, you know, great my great college education, my wonderful faith, nothing was giving me answers to mm-hmm. the problems I was seeing on the streets. And so, so after morning prayer, everybody went up 
upstairs and I closed the doors of our little chapel and I decided this is it, God, you know, we need to have a talk. Mm. <laughs> and, and I ended up just yelling and screaming at the Lord on the cross. And Good for said, you. Get down, mm. you know, mm-hmm. you get, come down and do something about all of this. And, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to have a, you know, I, I remember slumping in the in the pew and thinking, you know, I, I want to have a vision of the, you know, the the face of Jesus begin to ripple and, you know, and speak to me mm-hmm. saying, I'm sorry, you know, I've been really busy in the Middle East, I'll get right to it, <laughs> you know, or, or mm-hmm. have this, this vision of Maria running around, you know, barefoot chasing butterflies, mm-hmm. and, you know, somewhere, but none of that happened. It was just God's silence and Mm -hmm. and i and i sat in that pew and then um about three days went by where i was just in a very dark kind of dark time and then and then we we had an evening prayer and we read a passage um from the book of micah now micah was a farmer boy that god called to go preach to the city folk and and at one point, you know, the, the city folk are saying, look, we're doing all these things. We're, we're doing, we're, we're, you know, we're sacrificing barrels of oil. We're sacrificing all of these animals. What does God want? Mm-hmm. And Micah says, oh, man, what is it that the Lord asks of you? Only mm-hmm. this, that you live justly, love tenderly, and walk humbly with your God. Mm-hmm. And as, as we know, you know, the writer of, of Hebrews tells us that the scripture is alive and active, and mm-hmm. it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrows, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When I heard that passage from Micah, it was one of those Hebrew moments for me where, you know, just, you know, I really I really felt the Holy Spirit just piercing me and mm-hmm. saying, you know, John, what you're doing is a good thing. You know, you're in the right place, but you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. It's not about your 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 education. It's not about, you know, all those things that you're relying upon. You have to rely upon my values. Mm-hmm. And what I value is living justly, loving tenderly, and walking humbly with the Father. Mm-hmm. So um so that was that was a transformative moment for me and i and i started asking those three questions you know lord um how can i walk you know how how can i live justly what does it mean for me to live justly with the things that you have given me and mm. the things you have blessed me with how do i live justly with that who do you call me to love tenderly mm. and how can i walk humbly with you and i still you know, 40 years later or, you know, 30 years later, those are th- the three questions I continue to ask. Mm. And uh, and that's what really led me into just deeper ministry. Folks, you're tuning to Ignite Radio Live with Greg and Stephanie Schleter. And so blessed to have our brother Deacon John Green here with us sharing very moving story of his own background as he describes a very uh, kind of privileged, blessed bubble existence with faith that he encountered vibrantly. And uh, from his confirmation just right away in his public school, moved him with a friend, kindred with that friend, to, to break through, if you will, that inertia and, and the grace that flows when we do that. 
that. He talks about that in his early college experience and moved to go out to Covenant House in New York City and dealing with those in the streets who come from very, very difficult backgrounds and battling, if you will, that all of us, which of us don't battle with the evil in the world, reading the papers, the things happening in Minnesota the last couple of years, just the tumult and saying, Jesus, as you said, Deacon John, you know, why don't you come down from this cross? Where are you? Do something. You know, you did the great Saul thing, you know, right directly, the theophany. Why can't you do that with every person on the planet? Which of us don't struggle with that, with those in our immediate experience? And then invoking that Micah passage um, to just really love with the heart of the Father to be faithful. And somewhere in the midst of that, I don't think there's an easy algorithm or empirical answer because we want to see things solved. We want to see things mm. taken care of. But there's something in the mystery of the messiness. There's something in the mystery of the poverty of God speaking. I wonder if you could do this, Deacon John, paint for us a picture you spoke of dealing with, which was kind of new to my ears, male prostitutes, like men. What what kind of background do these guys come from? You know, I, I think... Um you can look at a couple things. One, a typical guy who gets involved in prostitution, usually there's some type of early sexual experience, either either just being very, you know, sexually active at an early age, you know, 10, 11, 12, or usually also some type of sexual abuse. And um, typically the sexual abuse happens um, repeatedly over over a period of time. So so your, your spirit really gets... Um, Kind of numbed, and, and quite a, quite often the guys that I ended up working with in New York and then in Chicago, um, who were involved in prostitution, you know, most of them, you know, didn't even know who their fathers were, mm. let alone had an intact, you know, relationship at all. Mm. So that that lack of of fatherhood, that lack of, mm-hmm. um, of of things. So you, you know, and and most of the guys involved in prostitution um, would actually identify as being heterosexual, although they engage in in basically you know homosexual acts on, mm. on the streets for money. So, but to do that, since they're essentially straight, they have to get high. So they start you know mm. dulling themselves mm. with something, and then all of a sudden, to you know, what do they know to feed that habit? Well, they know to prostitute. So you get this you know really nasty cycle. cycle. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely, and. You know, one one thing I would, you know, the other thing to to really think about for us as believers is, you know, so so Greg and Stephanie and your your listeners, I'll ask you this question, you know, would you go out tonight and prostitute yourself? Mm. Absolutely not. Okay, good, good. At least Greg said no. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry. I thought it was rhetorical. I thought it was rhetorical. (laughs) You have a chance now, Steph. Would you? Let's rephrase the question. No, no. Okay, so so list off for me what would stop you from doing that tonight, right now. What would stop you from prostituting? So I would hope I'd have sufficient character and grace to know fundamental truths and even be willing to Absolutely. die, even be willing to die because there's something greater than this earth. So, yeah, what a great, you know, that sense of values and morals, that sense of value of the human body. Absolutely. What else would stop you? Gosh, accountability to the structures of friends, family. Um, I, I belong to a community. Uh, that's yep. a context that reinforces my identity. Like it's not a peripheral Absolutely. thing. Like it's a in, it's an intrinsic thing. It, it would be, if yeah. you will, dissonant with my nature. It would go against. It'd, yeah. it'd be cringe factor eleven on a scale of one to ten. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, you got that community. You got that faith community. You got those brothers and sisters that would you know. 
Um, and, and Greg, since we're talking about you, your spouse, you know, would look dimly on that career choice for you. And she's I'm looking at her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, and, and I would assume that you guys have resources. Um, you might have a house, you mm-hmm. might have um, insurance, you know, if something, and, and so all of these things, if, if you and your, your listeners think about this, this is our safety net, you know, and when something hits us, so, you know, we get cancer, um, we get, you know, one of our kids gets hurt. Um, we, a tornado hits our town or whatever, you know, we can pretty much rely upon this safety net of our brothers and sisters in Christ, our faith, um, the morals and the values that were taught to us, um, growing up, our own education, um, that we have, our, our insurance, our resources, all of these are our safety net. And praise God, it's there. You know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And so when difficulty hits us, that's what catches us. Mm-hmm. For the guys that I started working with who were involved in prostitution, you know, like I said, most of them didn't even know, know who their fathers were. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them sexually abused early on, sometimes as young as, you know, five or six years mm-hmm. old. Most of them dropped out of school by the eighth or ninth grade. Um, you know, most of them never grew up in a church kind of context. Most of them, you know, any adult males in their life were either in mental health facilities or prison. So they didn't learn those values and morals and things. And when you don't have that safety net, what catches you is the streets. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the streets are a very vicious parent wow. and, um, in many ways. So, so to me, that, that's also the reason why people are out there in those situations sure. is that, you know, they don't have that safety net like a lot of us do. So I want to punctuate folks who are listening that, as John Paul said, the future of humanity passes by way of the family. The family is mm. iconic of the Trinity. Yeah. And of all the great uh, noble causes that we ought to pursue, the heart cause, the heart purposes, our identity and mission in family marriage and family. Just a little commercial here for I love my family.us. So John, two years, yeah. you're in New York and you return to the Chicago area. And what happens? Well, I, uh, I returned to my parents' hoorah, and I uh, went back to college and uh, finished my undergrad. I started a master's at, at Wheaton as well. And then, um, you know, one night a week, I started going down on the streets in Chicago. Mm. I just kind of caught a bug of, you know, I loved street evangelization and, and ministry. Um, found a, a Dutch reform guy that was doing some street ministry, hooked up with him. And then I think our second or third night when we were out on the, the streets and we were just walking around, he wore a clerical collar. I had a little cross logo and we would just pray with people. We'd go into different bars and different places and just mm-hmm. sit down and start, start t- talking and praying. And, and um, our third or fourth night, I ran into a group of guys prostituting. And I thought, okay, mm-hmm. Lord, you've, you've put this, population crossed my path mm-hmm. several times. So I'm going to start trying to help them. And so I um, started just kind of, you know, walking with guys, listening to their stories, um, you know, doing basic pastoral ministry. They'd get arrested and I would go visit them in prison mm. and um, they'd get hurt. I'd go visit them in the hospital and, and just really do whatever I could um, to, to in some ways kind of be their, their, their minister, their pastor. And, mm. and, uh, couple uh, people from my undergrad days started coming down with me. Some professors from Wheaton started coming down. Some youth ministry 
folks from it's my beautiful. Catholic church. And after a year, there was uh, seven of us. I was going out four nights a week, and uh, and we decided to organize as mm. a, a ministry called Emmaus. Um, and the focus was to to reach men involved in prostitution and to um, you know, reach them out on the streets at night, start a drop-in center form, start a home. But the, you know, the general purpose was to help guys get off the streets and walk in with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I ended up doing that for the next 20 years and, uh, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a blessing, you know, and, you know, I, I think about in, uh, you know, St. John Paul, Paul II and, uh, Christophides, he, you know, he talks about, um, you know, what is it? He basically says each member of the lay faithful has a mission. You know, we have a unique task that cannot be done by someone else. And, and, you know, God has given us all that sense of mission. And, yes. and, you know, one of the, one of the things I, I wrestled with when I was, you know, doing my street ministry was getting Catholics um, who could come out and do evangelization and discipleship with me. Um, you know, I, I could get my evangelical brethren, you know, to no end to come out and, and do this. But for Catholics, it was a really difficult mm-hmm. ministry to engage with. And, um, you know, just just because, you know, we, we have that wonderful, you know, I don't know. I, I think I think about like like now, like you think about today in the church, we have more content yep. on what evangelization yep. and discipleship is than in any point in the history of the church, you know, mm-hmm. the books and the podcasts and the teachings and, and everything else. And yet when it comes down to that one-on-one evangelization and discipleship, sharing the charisma, sharing the good news with somebody, telling your own testimony, having an intentional meeting with somebody um, that is, you know, seeking to bring them into a deeper relationship with God in his church, you know, we fail at that as Catholics yep. in so yep. many ways. Yes. And yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so it was, that was one thing that was really hard in sure. doing the street ministry. And that's actually one of the, one of the reasons I actually, um, early on in our, our street ministry, we were probably, we were about 10 years into it or so. There was a, this is a, like in 2002, there was this group out of the um, um, University of Madison, Wisconsin, um, that started calling themselves the Evangelical Catholic. And uh, and they invited my wife and I up to be their uh, keynote speakers at a conference. Mm. And, you know, I got up there and I'm in front of like 500 Catholic college students from around the country who are just pumped about their faith and and it was it was so exciting to 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 connect with this group i just want to underscore underline bold prints get my feist up a little bit (laughs) 100 percent agree with um your your comments about the frustration and difficulty of Catholics really living it out. You know, as you yeah. said, Deacon John, you know, we've we live in a blessed time where we've never had more resources, programs, like you said, podcasts, books, this movement, that movement. And it's we like to use the phrase we become Catholic program junkies. It's like what's our next oh fix? Gosh, what's yeah. our next fix? What's the next yeah. thing? And are we living it? Yes. You know, and part of our movement is, you know, it's not just another program it's a way of life in jesus christ that it's in the ordinary and it is answering that call and i think very well-intentioned catholics you know fill 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 gray was speaking about empty fill overflow but unfortunately 
so many of us fill with things instead of the person of Jesus Christ. And when it becomes more that relational encounter and we we are able to answer that call of overflowing of that what it, what it truly means to evangelize, to come to that eyeball to eyeball, to get out of our Catholic hot tub and get out there and see the urgency in these souls around us that are just yeah. 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 All right. Go so ahead. So I need to commandeer this because I'm mindful that we need to have a multi-episode series with Deacon John with the stories and uh, evangelizing and opening up hearts and minds to this. But folks, a uh, quick note, please check out streets.org. That is the Emmaus ministry that Deacon John founded and um, and is really vibrant. Check it out again, streets, S-T-R-E-E-T-S dot org. Deacon John, with a short time that we have, and I lament it because we, we really need to have you back and even have you come in and speak and do some of our oneheartonecity.us, our outreach in public parks where we are evangelizing and some very powerful movement last year, which was initiated actually prior to the George Floyd stuff even happened. A number of us united in our city you know, felt the call to just break out and love and bring the love and to communicate the gospel. Mm, and uh, it, it was great. ripples that became a wave and maybe even on the verge of a potential tsunami, but I'd love to connect with you on that. Mm. Anyways, um, d- just bring us up to speed and punctuate the movement that you're involved with right now with the time we have left. Sure. Yep. Um, well, you know, as, as I mentioned, the, the difficulty I found when I was doing my street ministry to get Catholics that could, could do this. But, you know, and, and you see how the Lord worked. You know, the Lord is always active around the world. And so the evangelical Catholic group started growing and started really looking at um, you know, this, this niche, this need of not necessarily creating more content around evangelization, but really, really this idea of coaching Catholics to, to be not only disciples, you know, not only to be strengthened, but ultimately to be disciple makers, you know, because mm-hmm. that was the, the call for mm-hmm. in, uh, at the end of the book of Matthew, go into all the world and make disciples. Mm-hmm. And so, so what the EC did is they actually created and, and the Evangelical Catholic as an organization has been going on for about 20 years. I, I knew about them early on, and then I reconnected with them last year. But when I, when I reconnected with them and saw what they were doing, I thought, this is exactly what we need. And so the EC works with Catholic churches and campus ministries to basically create a, a sustainable movement of evangelization and discipleship. And they do it through coaching and they do it through, you know, Zoom calls. But what they do is they follow the model that Jesus did. Hmm. So they, they start with like a couple people who are going to be the point people that are going to move this, you know, drive this movement of evangelization at a parish. And then those point people get um, kind of formed in what we call the heart and habits of mission. And it's, you know, things like, you know, just seeking deeper intimacy with Christ, sanctifying mm. the ordinary life, investing in relationship, mm. yes. um, you know, yes. being able to share the good news, facilitate discipleship environments, all these different things. And then those point people then get a group of 10 to 12 leaders from their parish, and then they disciple them. They deepen their faith, and then they send them out in mission, wherever God has put them in. So if they're a student, maybe they're doing, you know, Bible studies in their dorm. If they're a business person, maybe they're starting a, you know, a small group, you know, uh, prayer at their business or something like that. But over the course of a year, a parish might eventually end up having 20 or 30 of these activated disciples who are formed in mission, formed in evangelization and discipleship. And, and I have, I have seen as I've connected with the EC over the last, you know, year, 
um, nine months or so, um, they they are just doing a tremendous work of mm. evangelization in the church. And so so I actually came on staff with them just a couple months ago to promote what they're doing. Um, because I really, I really feel like it's the thing that we need mm-hmm. in the church today. Well, we need to connect with you as you're introducing this to us. I want to direct our folks to evangelicalcatholic.org, just as it sounds, evangelicalcatholic.org, a nice website that kind of outlines a lot of the things and expands even further what Deacon John is saying here. Um, so, folks, I just am so grateful again that you're tuned in with us tonight. We're talking about living it, really, breaching that chasm from knowing it to living it, to kind of realizing Christ breaches that gap. And that when we take that step, he floods us with the grace. And yes, looking on the water, right? We may sink a little bit as we have fear and as we make our calculations, our humanity. But, you know, is right now in this moment, is it not an epic moment in human history? Is it not a for such a time as this Esther moment as we look at the world around us? Indeed, as we look at our own families, is there not a need for us to experience Christ? And tell me in a lot of ways, Deacon John, that as you were maybe battling, asking that question in the in the church that one day and seeing the man who, you know, who had fallen and died you know, at his own hands and saying, Jesus, you know, why don't you come off the cross? You know, just maybe punctuate and land us tonight with a sense of, you know, how did you become more fully aware that his answer is, you're my hands, you're my voice, you're my presence. Well, you know, and and I think for one, just that, you know, to me, that encountering of, of scripture, you know, the, I mean, you know, we, we can't look at the scriptures as just some some dead book, you know, it is infused with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think, you know, flee to the scriptures. You know, read read the scriptures. Read the book of James. You know, to me, if you're if you're looking for for what, you know, the Lord is calling you as far as mission, that that's a great missional book to, mm-hmm. to read. You know, Martin Luther called it the straw gospel because he didn't like how practical it mm-hmm. was in some ways. But, you know, I, I think also, you know, for for me, I it is it is a it is a moment of grace um, to be with somebody who feels lost, who feels that they have nowhere to go, and for you to be a vehicle of hope. Hmm. And you know what I found, even as a high schooler, going out into the pit and being, you know, bringing that light into the darkness. You know, we 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 are people of light, but we are made for the darkness. We have to to realize that we got to get our hands dirty in in the in the in the dirt of this world because that's why we're here. You know, we are here to be light in the darkness, not mm-hmm. a spark in the bonfire. Mm-hmm. And, and too like often. You know, that's that's what we want to do. We want right. to surround ourselves with with all these you know wonderful podcasts uh, you know, and, and surround ourselves with all of this. Like like we were talking early on, all this stuff. It's mm-hmm. like that's that's not our job. Our job is to be a light in the darkness. And when you get the opportunity to do that and be that, and you see hope, you know, open up in somebody's eyes, and you see the Holy Spirit start working in somebody's life where they realize, okay, maybe my life doesn't have to end or, or go this way. It is a moment of supreme grace, and you feel so humbled to be 
a vehicle of God's mercy in that way. Folks, you're tuned in to Ignite Radio Live. Just so moved in this moment to be uh, hearing the witness and the testimony and the passion of our brother, new brother in Christ, who we just met really today, uh, Deacon John Green, and sharing with us the great background of his history and being moved into the mission fields, if you will, as a Catholic and reaching souls for Christ. And right now, very involved with evangelicalcatholic.org. You can find out more about them. And folks, if you're listening as you are right now, I encourage you to check out this kind of little piece of that, little uh, facet of that diamond um, at ilovemyfamily.us, the invitation for us all to recognize that accessible action step that we can take, which is making our homes that place of ever-deepening encounter with Jesus Christ. And as we discern even further, if some of you are asking the question, you know, how are we going to see this, you know, world around us impacted? Certainly our homes, number one. But if you're moved to break through your fears, uh, your anxieties, uh, whatever may stand in the way, Join us at OneHeartOneCity.us. These opportunities to break out into public places and to be Christ's presence. Just so many powerful things happening there. So grateful to have you with us. Would you mind closing us in a prayer, Deacon? Absolutely, I would love to. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we lift up to you um, all the needs that are in uh, our listeners' hearts and mm. their homes. And um, Heavenly Father, I just ask that you... You encamp your angels with Easter blessings around Mm. everyone who is listening uh, to this podcast. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the the ministry of Greg and Stephanie. I ask you to to continue to bless that. And Lord, I pray for those who are trapped in the darkness, who Mm. are lost um, in just the world and and in whether it's... um, you know, in their in their mind, in their hearts, in their lives, Lord. And Lord, I pray mm. that you continue to raise up um, people who will go into that harvest. Yes, Lord. Who will um, bring people home uh, to you. So Lord, may all that we do, all that we pray, all that we read, all that we listen to, bear fruit and eternal life uh, for those that you love dearly. We pray all these prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We'll receive your deacon blessing. Lay it on us. Absolutely. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. Mm-hmm. May he lead you in salvation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. God bless you, Deacon. Wonderful talking with you guys. You Thank also. Thank you for being so with us. You also. Folks, until next time, God bless you. my soul